the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Get ready to take notes, because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. Well, welcome to Education America, where we are taking steps to save the classroom so that we can save the country. Come along with us. K-12 education is the playing field. And as the 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, succinctly stated, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. I am Rebecca Hagstrom, and I am here with my co-host, who is actually joining us by phone today, Mark Durkin. And hello, Rebecca. Nice to see you, or nice to hear you, I should say. That's Uh, right. Good to hear you as well. Right. Well, we're excited to introduce our guest today that's going to be with us for the next two weeks. Um, And we want to talk a little bit about um, how things are really dividing and pitting Americans against one another. Things like critical race theory, 1619 Project, COVID mask, and vaccine mandates, and gender identity. And these divisions are especially present in K-12 schools in Minnesota and across the country. Whether we acknowledge it or not, our thoughts on these issues come from specific worldview that we each hold individually. So what is a worldview? What factors can shape one's understanding of reality? Our guest tonight will answer these questions and many more. That's right, Rebecca, joining us in studio tonight to discuss the various worldviews that have shaped both the public school classroom and the government is Josh Mulvihill. Mr. Mulvihill is the executive director of Church and Family Ministry at Renew a Nation, a ministry that helps children develop a biblical worldview by equipping the church, home, and the schools. He served as a pastor for 20 years, has a Ph.D. in family ministry from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He serves on the board of Awana and is the author and editor of 10 books, including his latest book, 50 Things Every Child Needs to Know Before Leaving Home. Which I just got a copy of right now in studio. (laughs) Sorry to cut you off there, Mark. No, that's okay. (laughs) So Josh is joining us uh, tonight, and we so thank you for being with us on Education America. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're so excited. Well, we we live in a time where truth is viewed as relative. And, you know, this idea of your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. And when people describe truth as relative or absolute, whether they know it or not, um, they're living according to a worldview. Can you describe for our listeners the idea behind what a worldview is? I like to summarize worldview with the single word beliefs. So they're the summation of really what we see as uh, how the the world operates. And um, we could say that our worldview really is the culmination of how we answer life's big questions. So, you know, where did I come from? 
Um, why am I here? Who am I? What's right and wrong? What's the problems in the world? What's mm-hmm. the solution? Um, how do we uh, address the issues that we see and uh, what happens in the future? You know, all of those and, and probably more as we begin to answer those kinds of questions, the answers we bring to that really start to form our worldview, how we view the world. And, um, you know, the the different answers to those really come by shaping um, the major religions that we see, the paganism that we see, secularism, they kind of start leading us down one of those paths. And, uh, of course, the challenge that we live in today in this world of relativism is it's kind of the buffet world that we live in. You kind of pick um, something from everything and uh, create your own religion, essentially, is where we're, we're at. And so the challenge for, um, for us I'm, you know, as a pastor, um, for you that are, in, that are in the education world, the Christian education world, is the individuals that are coming to us uh, often are absorbing the views and the values of the world, many times unbeknownst to them, sometimes not. Mm -hmm. And then this, of course, affects how those individuals live and the decisions that are being made. Um, And as uh, then uh, that impacts everything in life, everything Mm -hmm. altogether. Mm -hmm. Um, Before we go on, have you heard um, of the curriculum Understanding the Times? Which is a worldview. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have used that uh, for part of our worldview training at the senior year of high school. Excellent. And uh, I used to teach that back in the day at our church, and they used to compare um, a set of glasses as the worldview. So whatever your glasses are, if you're seeing through, you know, pink glasses or rose colored glasses, as we as we like to say. Um, Whatever you see through those glasses, it's kind of the lens through which you view all of the world. And I thought that was a good analogy along with what you were sharing. It is a good one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Josh, when we discussed the idea of a worldview, um, and you were alluding to this uh, just a few minutes ago in regards to, you know, why we're here, you know, what's our purpose? I mean, what are the five key areas that, that comprise one's understanding of reality? Explain each of those areas, if you would, for us. I like to think of five words, which makes it simple to think about with worldview, and they become a framework that can be used by um, parents, by uh, educators, by pastors, really to help shape the big picture of belief for the next generation. Those five words are creation, rebellion, salvation, restoration, and the Bible, which is the foundation which all that lays on. Uh, So creation... um, God made the world good, and that, if we look at what's in um, Genesis, the book that we read about with creation, it is what we're, man, we're feeling it in our culture today, marriage, manhood, womanhood, um, race, all these issues that we're, we're dealing with, they are, they're dressed in the beginning with this creation, and, uh, and, and it shapes all of those, which becomes pretty critical but God created the world good, uh, rebellion, sin made the world groan. So these are starting to answer some of those big life questions that I mentioned. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Uh, rebellion, uh, sin made the world groan. This, we know where problems come from. Um, they're not from outside necessarily in institutions and organizations, although you know, obviously there's, there can be issues and policies and things that need to be changed. But primarily, it's a heart issue that, it, that we have 
uh, sin and, and rebellion and wickedness in our heart, and that impacts the whole world itself. Um, salvation, um, Jesus paid the penalty for sin, so he, uh, through transformation of our heart, that brings about healing and restoration in the world. And the fourth one, then, restoration um, God will make the world new. You know, we have what the world's looking for in hope. We know how the story ends. Uh, we have yes. victory through Christ. And so much of um, the longing I see in the next generation deals with a lack of hope, mm-hmm. the, you know, the addiction, the depression, the um, all the issues right now, especially that have been really heightened during covid uh, it is it, it is through Christ that that restoration happens, and um, but not only that, you know, the, I think the the evangelical world often stops at Calvary mm-hmm. um, with evangelism, and the Bible doesn't stop at Calvary. It goes all the way through consummation. We have a cultural mandate. We have marching orders to see change happen culturally in our world to see society change, and all culture is. Yep. It's the it's the manifestation, the application of religious beliefs, and so we want to see these things change. You know, the the restoration of a broken world change. God says, "I will make all things new, not I'll make all new things." So He's literally He's going to take this broken world, not only our hearts but all of our world, and make it new. And that's exciting for us as Christians because it's not just about praying a prayer, and then we're done. Um, there's work right. to do after that. Mm-hmm. And and education is, as, as mentioned, is the playground in, in large part to equip young people for every good work, as the Apostle Paul says. Um, and then the Bible is the foundation by which all of that rests on. And so there is a major attack, and always has been throughout history, if, it, if we can erode belief in God's Word— by causing doubt, um, seeing that there might be errors in it, whatever, uh, all of the other those other four crumble. And so our young people need an assurance that God's Word is good and right and true and trustworthy. Um, and so those kind of, those five right there build a really nice framework that um, as we teach these things to our young people, it's it's not the whole. It's obviously not the whole, and it could be claimed as somewhat reductionistic. But it it's you know there's so much that we could be addressing with uh, the next generation. We need to have something that is at least manageable, and I find find that that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, as you talked about these key these five key areas, um, they really do explain what it is um, to, to have a biblical worldview, to put the Bible at the center. You kind of touched on a little bit, um, and I like how you address the five key areas, and you touched a little bit on things like hope and people are suffering from depression more, and I, I would add to that anxiety um, that can lead to depression, but even, even if it doesn't go that far, an- anxiousness has become really, really prominent um, both in young and old today. Um, you know, can you explain what you mean then for for us to have a biblical worldview? There there needs to be some consistency in how we think, mm-hmm. and consistency with Scripture. So, can you address that a little bit? Yeah. So it's you know, worldview is really a set of beliefs, its values, views, assumptions, and it's based on some authority. Mm-hmm. So that for us as Christians is the Bible. For others, that authority could be 
personal experience, pragmatism, um, science, which is not even reliable now right. in our day, right? right. We, like you present <laughs> scientific data and that doesn't mean anything with right. COVID. Um, <laughs> but there, you know, what is the authority? Could it be a different religious book um, in the Book of Mormon or pick your religious book? Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's always an authority there. And so for our kids, we're trying to help them um, develop a, a confidence in God's word as that authority uh, and many of us as Christians say the Bible is our authority, but then when it comes to any major life decisions or directions, we turn our attention elsewhere and look to a different source rather than God's word mm-hmm. for direction. And so functionally, we could even say, okay, so when I've got a decision, let's just even use education. How should I educate my children? Um, I would say that a, a high percentage of people don't have a biblical vision for what that looks like and couldn't even answer that question scripturally. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, so I don't know, we could do a whole bunch of case yep. studies on that, but yeah. Yep, yep. And just one more point on that. Um, sometimes what happens is we, we, as you point out, think we have a biblical worldview, but until you can actually s- start studying what that really means, it's easy to um, think that you do have one, but then have bought into some of the secular thinking in our world that really um, seeps in. And that's where it's really important to really study what does it mean to have a Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how it really was brought to my attention that I had bought into a lot of secular type thinking and uh, needed to change the way we raise our children and all kinds of things. Yes. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, using a biblical worldview, can you explain for our listeners how Christianity and critical race theory are competing worldviews specifically as it pertains to creation, original sin, redemption, and restoration? You're, you're ready to jump in the deep end, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. And this is a, a, a really important one. It's front and center in our culture today. Uh, critical race theory is uh, said by some to be a helpful academic analysis tool. Uh, it isn't that. It is a, a completely different worldview altogether that answers those big life questions differently. So I'll try to run through this fairly quickly. Um, but the creation uh, component for critical race theory replaces what the Bible says with group identity. So you find, you, you answer your question of who am I, why am I here, what's my value, based on what group you're assigned to. And so you can't break out of that. So if you know, I'm a white male, um, that's what group, I can't rise above that or below that. I am guilty for uh, everything associated with that group, or I get to, um, con- you know, all my accomplishments are with that group as well. And so essentially it def- redefines what it means to be a human it redefines value and dignity. You're, you're only based on your identity in that group. Of course, scripturally, our identity is in Christ. Our identity right. is being made in the image of God, mm-hmm. that that in and of itself defines who we are. Um, it's not self and it's not other that defines. It's God himself. Mm-hmm. And so we get that identity so that we can make much of God to a watching world, not much of our group or much of ourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when it redefines humanity, what we have is then it also redefines the problem of, uh, in Christianity, it's sin. Mm-hmm. In, um, in critical theory, it's oppression. Yeah. And so that would, that would be rebellion in a single word. 
And so therefore then we, salvation is we need to reverse, uh, reverse that problem um, by simply um, addressing it through activism, addressing it through liberation. So it comes out of liberation mm-hmm. theology. Uh, and instead of repentance to Christ, uh, we are essentially repenting of our group identity that does not fit with kind of the, the mainstream of our society. Uh, and the, the ultimate goal in restoration, instead of a renewed world through Christ, uh, it's a utopia. These are all utopian mm-hmm. ideas. And, of course, it sounds so appealing. Um, and I think those who, um, you know, if, if, you, if you aren't Christian or if you're not as a strong Christian, oftentimes that sucks you in because— it's the longing God's placed in all of our hearts, and it's like the Cinderella story that we all long for, that, uh, that the restored uh, ending. And if, if, if Christianity isn't that, then this sounds—I mean, it sounds mm-hmm. fantastic, mm-hmm. but it, of course, we have history <laughs> we can look back upon and mm-hmm. see that those utopian kinds of ideas— uh, we've got a hundred years. It's you know, critical race theory is Marxist. Yes. It's the same. Yes. It's repackaged. Mm-hmm. Um, it's oppression oppressor framework. It's mm-hmm. a classic divide and conquer strategy, uh, and you replace it with your ideology. It leads to totalitarianism. It's mm-hmm. not good, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it is it's significant what's happening in our world right now with with critical race theory in education. It's called equity, mm-hmm. uh, diversity, inclusion, other names as well. Um, and they make it sound so good, but it, it is problematic. And as Christians, we need to reject it. Yeah. Yeah. And uto- utopianism has never found success in the course of history and ever. And I do think it's really important to point out that it is like Marxism packaged, repackaged for today. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, what it's doing is, is it, it, it pretends to want to treat all men, all women equal, but it does create and it puts one group of people against another. It totally goes against the counsel of God's Word, Acts mm-hmm. seventeen twenty six, that he made from one man every nation of mankind to live all on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and boundaries of their habitation that they would seek God. And it pulls us away from that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, when we look at the origin of our country, Josh, America was built on a moral, religious, and constitutional foundation. In fact, the nation's first federal law, as it pertained to education, and we talk about this quite a bit on the program, is 1787 Northwest Ordinance, Section 3. It is still federal law, and it states that religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind, schools, and the means of education shall forever be encouraged. Now, according to a a telephone survey that was done by the Pew Research Center, and this was back in 2018 and 19, it stated that 65% of American adults described themselves as Christians, down from 12% over the past decade. But these numbers of people, you know, claiming salvation in Jesus Christ, they don't match the state of how things are in America today. So if you would... You know, share with our listeners how Americans today view the essentials when it comes uh, to the Christian faith. Yeah, could you imagine if 65% were, you know, <laughs> solid Christian? I mean, our country would be a very different kind of country than it is today. So that's obviously not the case. But essentials, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Barna has done a ton of research on uh, on the essentials of faith and has tracked this for a long time. 
Uh, and the last statistics that I've seen is that anywhere from only about 4 to 10% of Americans have a biblical worldview. It's mm-hmm. really, really low. It's shockingly low. Uh, and when you begin to do research in um, you know, evangelical groups uh, about, about their beliefs, just your basic orthodox kinds of things like substitutionary atonement kinds of thing. Did Jesus die on the cross and rise again? Um, is hell a real place? Um, you know, those basic kinds of things are now, uh, there. those are the things that I think you're talking about here, that the, these essentials are not even, uh, they're not believing in these, these basic things anymore. Uh, and so Christians have begun to absorb the world's ideas, critical race theory, LGBTQ kinds of things, evolution, uh, and this is then seeping in to all of how they lead organizations, how they raise children, how they educate their children, and obviously our world's becoming, our, our country's becoming a very, very different place. And Christians find themselves now really, for the first time ever, as a minority in the United States, and um, that's both uh, new and, and concerning, um, and I think as those of us that uh, really want to live according to the Bible, uh, we are going to have to stand up and be okay being faithfully different in a culture that looks more like Babylon than it does Jerusalem, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. and uh, we got to prepare. Here, here it comes. Yeah. Early stages. <clears throat> yeah. Josh, in addition to the term worldview, uh, another term that has been garnering a lot of attention in the culture is the word progressive. And the term is often associated with a particular political persuasion. Progressivism, it's a political philosophy in support of social reform based on the idea of progress in which advancements in science and technology and economic development and social organization are vital to the improvement of the human condition. So, I mean, while advancements in these areas can improve the human experience, it's also safe to say that progressive thought aimed at improving the human condition also is thought that is completely void, though, of of the biblical view that we've been talking about. In other words, men and women are doing kind of what's right in their own eyes based on what they perceive purely according to the the natural senses. Is that an accurate description, do you think? I think of... Uh, progressivism often as the new secular morality that uh, you know the Christianity is outdated and old, and therefore we need this this new uh, 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 new new morality. Um, and as I was thinking about this, um, you know, it's oftentimes we think maybe our world is has no morals, but it it does. It just has a new moral code. And and here's how I summarize that. Uh, for our world, and especially for our young people, the moral code is a morality of self-fulfillment that is mm-hmm. determined by what makes a young person happy. And so self-denial is the new immorality. Self-fulfillment mm-hmm. becomes the new gospel, and self-discovery mm-hmm. is the new method. So our our kids and us as well are being told, explore, experiment, and you know, determine who you are and... Um, and any limitations or restrictions that we as adults put on your, our children are seen as almost abuse, which is crazy, of course. You think of transgender stuff and, you know, let your kids explore that. And if they want to, um, you know, if they're a boy and they want to be a girl and you don't allow them, our world says you're not a good parent and we may even need to remove your child from the home. Yeah. 
Very um, frightening. Yeah, it is. Very, yep. very frightening. Um, and that's, you yep. know, that's progressivism. It's poison. It's, but it is seeping into, uh, you know, all, all spheres of worlds we live in. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so, Josh, we have not very much time left. We only have about four and a half minutes. So we're going to try to get through a couple more questions here, and then we'll have to save the rest for next week. But on this program, we do constantly remind our listeners of the warning um, that Abraham Lincoln issued. And he stated, as I said at the beginning, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. And when we look at history of the classroom, we're reminded that prayer and Bible reading were removed from public schools in 1962 and 1963, respectively. In its place, school districts are adopting curriculums that reflect what is right in their own eyes, with no thought as to what God would have them teach. Um, This is reflective in government as well. For example, we've seen a departure from creationism, the belief that God has created and watches over the world, having nothing to do with the time, the old earth, new earth. It's just, did God create, right? Um, explain for our listeners the emergence of both secular humanism and naturalism and what exactly these worldviews are. Yes, secular humanism simply places man at the center. So as the school pulled God out, removed God through Ten Commandments, through prayer, through all other means, it, it left a void. And it's not like education is simply neutral teaching everything in neutrality, it got replaced by something, and that is secularism, where, um, where, where man it takes the place of God. And so children essentially are being taught they're little gods, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and they're in, in that. That's where a new morality comes in, um, which we, you know, we just described, which is taught uh, in, in all of the school curriculum and classrooms, uh, and so secularism is the religion of public schools, mm-hmm. and it is in, in, and our kids have been raised in that now for a mul- multiple je- uh, decades and generations, and we're seeing a little secularist um, ch- churned out, and our culture is now um, following in that path. Exactly, and becoming more progressive then as time goes on. Yeah. Um, Josh, you know, what exactly, you know, if we can just, focus on some specifics. What exactly does the secular worldview teach in America's classrooms? Christianity teaches God exists. Secularism teaches he does not. And so uh, you, naturalism, you get evolution with that. So evolution's taught as truth, uh, which it's a theory. It's not fact. But kids, are co- of course, are not caught, taught about the creation of God. They're taught uh, evolution. Um, you know, children are um, not taught that they're created in God's image. They're taught essentially that there's no purpose. If, if there's no God that created you for any reason, then, then why do you exist? What's your purpose? Well, it's really your own happiness. And so the purpose of public schools is self-actualization, that there's nothing, uh, no greater purpose in life than your own um, creating your own identity and finding your own, pursuing your own happiness. Um, you know, we could go down the list, um, it, but that really, re- morality is relative. Humanity is good. Evil's found in systems, not in hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus isn't God. Uh, death is not the end of all things. So you start having these kinds of um, what the school system would think is our truths um, taught throughout all of curriculum, and it it really undermines what Christians want to teach their children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I think a lot of what you're describing here is the reason why we have so little hope 
um, we see so many kids struggling from anxiety, depression, what have you. And I think it's because they lack hope mm-hmm. and it's because of this secular mindset. Well, Josh, we're so glad to have had you on tonight and we look forward to having you back with us again next week. And we will continue this conversation with Josh Mulvahill from Renew a Nation. Do you want to quickly share your website? Yeah. RenewAnation.org, all one word, and love to have you pop on there. Yeah, there's lots of great resources, um, school opportunities, and uh, curriculum opportunities, and what have you. And Mark, thanks for joining us by phone tonight. And yeah, it's always good to be here. Yep. And uh, to our listeners, we um, thank you for joining us. And you can find this podcast and other podcasts at savetheclassroom.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great night, and we will see you next week on Education America. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.